Um, I'm just going to, because I have a strong personality, MQM told me I have a strong personality. I'm going to take what Carl said, and I'm going to get more uh, definitive about it. And what, you, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm going to take what you said, and I agree with you, but I'm going to take what you said and take it one step further, which is if your bagpipe isn't comfortable to play, you're, you're doing it wrong, no matter what level you're at. Even if you just, if, even if it's the first time you've ever picked up an instrument. Now, the way we make that come true, okay, is, what's the answer? People should be able to read my mind. The way we make that come through is we do one thing at a time until we can do it. Who came up with that answer? Nope. Four questions. It's like, that's four things. So we're going to do one thing at a time. So let's pretend we've never seen a bagpipe before in our whole life. By the way, this is what the, this is what the transitioning to the bagpipes course does step by step, by the way. This is it. Uh, and a special thank you to Joe Brady for like helping me see this clearly a couple of years ago and, and, you know, prompting the rework of the transition to the bagpipes course. Okay. But the first thing we need to do is learn to set, learn to assemble a bagpipe. Okay. That's the first thing we need to do. Okay. We need to learn how to assemble it properly. So what, what you need to do, if it's the first time you've ever seen a bagpipe, okay, hopefully with a mentor by your side, you'd strip all the hemp off that instrument, okay? And you, you personally would build that bagpipe up from scratch, and you'd learn the art of hemping. You'd learn the art of making those joints airtight, all right? You would learn the art of checking that bag for airtightness, and yeah, we would go through the four questions as part of this, Okay? Susan says that is so empowering. Are you talking about my words or someone else's? Okay. She's talking about you. Nice. Susan, you're my new fave. Uh, and if not, Susan, don't say, don't say yeah. otherwise. <laughs> and if you don't mean it, don't tease me. Um, so uh, learn to assemble the bagpipe properly. That's the first thing that we do before we do anything else. Okay. And that's, that, that process might take a little while. Maybe it'll take... You know, a, a week or something. Uh, but before you're going to play a note, you're going to learn how to put that thing together and you're going to become comfortable and confident assembling that bagpipe and learning to do it the right way. If you I mean, don't have it. How many, a, how yeah, many times have you had a student come to you and they're literally afraid to do anything on their bagpipe? I know. And it's terrible. Like imagine, like imagine, uh, imagine not wanting to play sports because you've never tied your shoelaces before. That's right. what it's like. It's like, oh, uh, my, you know, like I know my, my joint is like really loose, but I'm afraid to touch it. And my teacher says I shouldn't touch anything. So I'm just going to wait till two months from now when my next lesson is. Well, that's not going to work, right? It's like saying, yeah. I don't want to go for a, I, I can't, I can't go for a walk because, because um, my mommy said um, she's the only one that can tie my shoes for me. Right. Obviously, that's not going to work, right? Obviously. So the first thing everyone should do is to become comfortable uh, properly assembling the bagpipe. And during that process, we can learn the ins and outs of how to test for bag air tightness, making sure the reed seats are snug, understanding tuning pins. One of them would be tying on your drone cords, you know? How many people have, you come, how many people have come to you for their first lesson and their drone cords are all messed up? And it's like, it's not that hard, right? We just need to space them five to six inches apart and then we're good, right? Or some people come with them spaced eight inches apart. 
Okay, so learn to assemble a bagpipe. That's phase one. Okay. If you don't have a mentor, you might be better off. Just use the transitioning to the pipes course here on the site and just take your time and go through it. Okay, phase two is not playing Scotland the Brave with three drones, okay? Phase two is what? Well, uh, Joe Brady taught me this. It should be cork up everything. Uh, drone tops and chanter. Okay, cork up everything and learn great posture. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to blow the, the bagpipe up with, but no air is going to be uh, escaping the instrument. So we just have a, a, a fully inflated bag. We got the corks in the drones, and we actually take the chanter reed out and put a golf tee or an earplug in there so no air gets through. So we get the shape of this bagpipe, and we make sure it fits our body the right way. And we evaluate this using the four non-negotiables, four and a half non-negotiables of bagpipe posture. What are the four non-negotiables of bagpipe posture? There you go, Clyde. See, Clyde, you might have been better off to get started that way. What are the four non-negotiables bagpipe posture? Number one, make sure the blowpipe sits naturally in your mouth. When, you, when you're holding your bagpipe, the blowpipe should just sit there in position. It shouldn't be over here. It shouldn't be out here. It should just rest naturally right there in the middle of your mouth without having to strain your neck. That's number one. Number two is... The bass drone, for the first joint of your bass drone should balance naturally on your collarbone and your bass drone should be at a 45 degree angle to the ground. If it's 40 degrees, fine. If it's 37 degrees, fine. But it shouldn't be zero degrees and it shouldn't be 90 degrees. It should be right in the middle. Okay, next one is the middle of your hands. Okay, should, you should be able to draw a perfectly straight line from the middle of your hands to your solar plexus. Okay, your chanter should not be over here, should not be over here, it should not be way down here, it should not be way up here. The middle of your hand should line up with your solar plexus. That's all otherwise known as right above your belly button. So anywhere from, you guys, so here's my belly button. Sorry, this is getting weird. Uh, my belly button here, solar plexus is here. So your, your middle of your hand should line up anywhere in here is fine. Anywhere lower than that, bad posture. Anywhere higher than that, bad posture. Likely blow stick that's the right. wrong size. And interestingly, right, the, one of the best ways to be able to adjust that is to adjust the length of that blow stick. Yeah. Okay? So that's the third non-negotiable. And the fourth non-negotiable is? Anybody know? Anybody with me now? Want to tell us what the fourth non-negotiable is? Rick? close, I mean arm position, it's simply that the left wrist or your squeezing wrist should not be involved in the squeezing of the bag. Okay, so your, your wrist, whatever arm is squeezing the bag, that wrist, which should be the left for vast majority of people, but our wrist, this area of our arm should not be in contact with the bag as we squeeze. Why not? And I'll, I'll just ask you to grab, grab your left wrist like this and go ahead, do it, nice and tight, and now try to wiggle your fingers. Oh, it's possible, but very difficult. Yeah. Is everybody, everybody go ahead and do that? That's why it's so important that, now meanwhile, grab, just grab your elbow area, like right where your elbow is. 
moving the finger is no big deal, right? So we don't want the bag to be applying pressure uh, to all these tendons on the inside of our wrist, okay? Because that will ruin our finger motion. Um, it will cause big issues, right? So, um, so those are the fundamentals of great posture, okay? We should do this. A teacher should demand great posture out of a student before anything starts to make sound, okay? Yeah. I'm so right about this, and so was Joe Brady, who kind of put me on this, on this trail. I'm so right about this, that this is the right way to do it. So right. What's the next? So now that we've done one and two, what's the next phase? And this is all related to um, I'm, um, the person who is finding it hard to transition to the chanter of the bagpipe because they're running out of puff. Notice how the first two steps require zero puff at all. No air has yet gone through the instrument, really. I mean, I guess we filled up the bag. But notice how you don't, you don't need to have any quote-unquote wind yet. Okay, what's the next, the third thing in our journey of transitioning to the pipes, everybody? Third thing. Turn the chanter on? Actually, no, right? And by the way, remember, we would have checked to see if the pipes are airtight in phase one in learning to properly assemble a bagpipe. So you guys aren't wrong. We just already covered that. I think they were talking about Lou's question, which we'll get to later. Oh, okay. So number three is we want to open up one drone, okay? And, uh, and we're going to learn the art of blowing steady using a manometer. And then other fun things I highly recommend, uh, learning to start the pipes, learning to stop the pipes, learning to march. We should do this all with just one drone going. Why, why is this like such a great thing to do with just one drone going? It's all of these other things that we have to learn. We're now in a much, much more controlled environment than we would have been if, let's say, we were going with the chanter. It's a much, much more controlled environment, right? And, some, and a lot of these things are not easy for people. Obviously, we know the art of blowing steady, but starting the pipes is hard. Let's make it easier by just doing it with one drone. Learning to stop the pipes is hard, but if you can stop just one drone on a dime, you're going to be able to stop uh, three drones plus a chanter on a dime, right? Because it's actually maybe a little harder to stop the pipes with just one drone going. And then marching is something a lot of pipers really, really struggle with. So let's learn it now before the bagpipe is extremely complex. Okay, step four, open up second drone, learn a bit about tuning drones together, uh, continue to work on uh, steadiness, manometer, starts, stops, marching. Five, we're going to skip the third drone because we really don't need it. Right? Like, we don't need a third drone to make our pipe sound good. Like, and, and actually, let me change this. Let's open up the bass drone here in step four, right? And then in step five, we are going to uh, turn off drones, turn on chanter, okay? And we're going to complete uh, the bagpipe strike in um, process. What else do we do with just the chanter? Not, not really that. Oh, yeah. Uh, now we are going to ID the sweet spot. That's a skill we have to learn. 
Okay, and then we are going to potentially uh, learn about mental blowing anomalies. That's all going to happen in phase five, right? And then phase six and beyond, integrate drone with chanter. And there's obviously a few remaining things you need to learn, like the blow trick, how to get the drones in tune with the chanter, so on and so forth. But can everybody see how this process of transitioning to the pipes uh, can and should and must result in you being able to operate your bagpipe comfortably? Imagine if a soccer ball was made out of lead, and that's how you were supposed to learn how to play soccer. Ow. Right? <laughs> but that's kind of like, obviously that's, you know, it starts off made out of lead, and then as you get better and better at soccer, like it gets closer and closer to being just like a normal soccer ball. That would really suck, right? But that's kind of what we're talking about here. A person is transitioning from practice chanter to the bagpipes. They've never played the bagpipes before, but they're playing uh, an instrument that's extremely difficult because they're not being taught how to operate it uh, properly and responsibly. So anyway, there's my Friday lecture. All right, looks like we have some questions roll in. As I board people with hugely valuable insight. It's not true. I think there's people that here, a fair few people here that have taken our transition to the pipes course, version two. I know, I think that's probably. And Rachel is definitely listening. Good. Rachel, you're my new number one because, you know, I haven't heard any flattery from Susan in a while. <laughs> um, so, uh, next question. Given the online school experience using Zoom, what are your thoughts on enabling cameras during dojo class? Do you perceive any added value? Kind of. Yeah, maybe. It's, Carl, are you doing that yet? No, I haven't been. But the, thing I find, the thing I find which is damaging to my ego and therefore uh, makes my classes even worse is that all I see is a bunch of faces kind of looking bored and like doing other things. <laughs> right so uh no I, i'm up for it i think it's the way of the future i just have to kind of work my way into it and yeah we, we can try that the only reason we didn't do it from the get-go is that sometimes that can overload the internet connection and make right. it slower for some users in the old days but i think zoom has so, kind of figured that out finally yeah they might have um, um so there you go next question the little rubber mouthpieces for chanters. I was told I should try one because it would help keep air escaping from around the chanter tip. I tried one. I started squeaking. I couldn't get a sound out at all, so I took it back off. Do I really need the rubber tip thingy? On a practice chanter. And there were lots of people that commented in and here on the chat as we were going, saying that on a practice chanter, it's totally not necessary. I don't have one. Andrew doesn't have one. Um... Andrew, I don't think you use a rubber tip on your pipes on the I blow do. stick, do you? You do. I'm rubber tip all the way, baby. There you go. And I but do the, also. But it's not for the air, okay? Yeah. It's not for the airflow escaping. It's for the teeth, right? Because, um, and it's for the fact that my lips curl over my teeth. So that little bit of padding helps my lips from getting all cut up uh, during long yeah. playing sessions um, and stuff like that. Yeah. You should never be, you should never be biting your blow stick with your actual teeth. Um, the other thing is like, I, I wonder what the real issue here is. Just remember the golden rule. 
when when you operate your practice chanter or your pipes, a lot of beginners don't realize this until it's like too late. You must you mustn't you must not touch the wet part of your lips. You know the part you use when you make out with somebody. You mustn't use the wet part of your lips on your blowpipe. Because as soon as the wet, that's just a little, little uh, sophomoric humor there. Um, because when, as soon, as soon, the moment, the wet part of your lip, right? Let me see here. Let me stop my share. What am I even sharing? Oh, yeah, I remember now. So see, there's, like, there's a line on your lip where it goes from dry to wet. It's really kind of interesting, and most people never really think about it. But we must not let the wet part come in contact with the blowpipe because as soon as we do, we will, the, the, it'll basically make your blowpipe slimy and you'll lose your grip immediately, right? So when we're blowing, you should actually be wrapping your lips slightly around your teeth like this so that the blowpipe can sit in your mouth uh, with never letting the wet part touch. That, that'll allow us to keep our grip forever until, if you're like me, you sweat so much that the sweat actually comes over the dry part of your lips, and then, then it starts to get fun. But um, that's a really, really, really important part of instrument control that hardly anyone, I've, I've never heard anyone talk about it besides me. I'm sure people have. I, like, I, to be honest, it's something I never really considered. I did it myself, and it just never popped into my head until you mentioned it. I don't know, like when we were recording the the, the class, the the Tudor version two, it was like, wow, I'd never mm -hmm. thought about it. I mean, I just did it, but I never thought to teach or or discuss I mean, that. It's Great. weird, okay? It's weird, okay? But like, work with me here. Take your finger, pretend it's your blowpipe. Now wrap your uh, lips around your teeth slightly. And put your finger in your mouth so that, uh, sorry, this is weird, but put your finger in your mouth and, and like, and then grip down on it a little bit. And you can hear that you can feel like a nice amount of resistance. All right. Now, pucker up and do the same thing with the wet part of your lips and feel how slippery it is. This is the really weird part. <laughs> but you'll never be able to get a grip with that part of your lip, right? It's true, though. It is. 100% true. It's really slippery and I feel really awkward, but it is like, I think that, that what, that's what might be going on here with this question. Uh, I, I was told I should try a rubber thingy because it would help keep air escaping from around the chanter tip, right? And so it sounds to me like maybe this person is just blowing raspberries. Yeah. Because they're using the, the wet part of their lips. Yeah. Yeah, we know the Reed Wrangler, Mike. It's uh if it works yeah. for you, great. That's the Tupperware the Tupperware one, right? Uh, yeah, it's like the really wide yeah. Yeah. sippy cup. The sippy cup uh the sippy cup blowpipe. <laughs> yeah, the Reed Wrangler theoretically makes it harder to grip the blowpipe for me. And then the other thing with the Reed Wrangler that's really like logistically difficult is uh if you are about to start a performance with your pipe band, but the angle of your blowpipe isn't perfect, you're going to have a long, uncomfortable performance. And I think they often leak. At least the ones that I've seen on some bagpipes aren't, like, fixed properly. They're just kind of shoved on top. They're not airtight always. So that's... 
has been a trouble. But yeah. there's people that swear by them, and you know we, we got two there that love them. Do you, do you do you? Absolutely, it's no problem. Like I have nothing against it. And, you know, I wouldn't personally use it, but that does not mean that it's not the right choice for you. Yeah, this is related to another common bagpipe question. Do I have to blow out of the middle of my mouth or can I just blow out of the side of my mouth? And the answer is you absolutely must blow out the middle of your mouth. Unless you don't. But I mean, I would never allow a student. Let me, let me just rephrase. I personally would never allow a student uh, to blow out of the corner of their mouth. Why? Well, because there's infinitely more muscles and strength in the middle of your mouth. You just have to get used to it. Yeah. It's sort of cheating in a way to do it that way. And you never develop the muscles that's right. for it. Yeah, Mike, well, that's why I had to backpedal a little bit, Mike, because like there are, there are exceptions. There are some great pipers that blow out of the side, which is wrong, but they've managed to make the wrong thing work for them, like rap. But correct me if I'm wrong, I think Rab came up in that sort of military style as well, did he not? Was he not in the military? Um, I can't remember now. No, no, he was. He, he's a he civilian player. Um, MQM originally learned corner blow. Oh, no. Switching was tough, but it's paid off, hasn't it? Because uh, I was the same. When I first started, I was maybe a little out of the side and then... Over time, I was like, well, everyone else is blowing out of the middle. Maybe I should, too. And the same thing goes for puffing out your cheeks. When you puff out your cheeks, you are uh, depleting the amount of muscle you can use in your mouth, right? Keeping your cheeks tucked in gives you uh, better strength uh, yeah. out of the center of your mouth. Right. So, Gideon, there's obvious exceptions to the rule, uh, obviously. But it is a rule, and you must follow it. Okay, here we go. Just kidding. You don't have to, if you don't want to. Ooh, it's like a really old fly in here. All right. Uh, next question. I have two sets of pipes. This is this is Lou's question, I think. It's Lou's question, yeah. One I use for band is sheepskin, and the other Ganaway. We were practicing striking up with the band and finding that sheepskin bags during the strike up, and find that sheepskin buckles during the strike up. And bass drum wants to roll off shoulder, interfering with strike up on time. Well, that sounds like a tie-in issue, potentially. The Ganaway leather is very rigid and holds nicely while blowing into the strike up. Since most bands use sheepskin, can you provide some advice striking up with sheepskin? Yeah. And, and I, I asked Lou to put the two sets of pipes on top of each other just to compare for any other differences. He says there's none. But, Lou, it's not a real thing. You know, like, and, and what I mean is... I don't think a lot of people struggle with that. I know Andrew and I don't. We both play sheep. You strike in, and it should stay the same. So there's something different. There's got to be something wrong here. Um, yeah, uh, so the tie-in angle of the bass drone. So we may need to retie the bass drone mm -hmm. so that the angle of it um, is more in towards you. That, yeah. that could be a reason. Oh, if, if the angle the is... Jack tied it in. Oh, well, Ooh. there's your problem. There's your problem. Oh, right there. Actually, he probably didn't. It was probably Andrew. <laughs> or, or was Jack there in person? So it could be the angle. And, and um, uh, so if it was a Lee and Sons tie-in, you know it's not Jack. And Andrew probably pawned it off to one of the new guys. So, uh, but uh, you should do it yourself, Lou. Retie that bass drum. Not only will you learn a lot about it 
but you can make sure that it's at the right angle. And so that, as Andrew was about to explain, you can get it to just hang on to your shoulder there at the 45 degree angle so it's not moving around. Like for me, when I, when I tie in a bass drum, it's not perfectly, I look awfully frozen. Yeah, you froze for a second, but I think you're back. Yeah, I think, I, I, I mean, oh yeah, there I am. Okay, so yeah, it's definitely not at a straight angle. I pull up the, the side that's against my arm. I pull it up so it's actually, the bass drone is tilting further out so that when it's in its configuration normal, it helps it like stay on there. So let me just, um, let me draw you a really quick image of that because I'm not sure what I said was very clear. Hurt, so hurry if, up though, we got more to get through. Yeah, so if this is the top of your bag, let's say, right? Um, I don't, just tie in the bass drum sticking out like this. I tie it in so that there's more uh, bag on the outside of, like if this is your arm over here, your arm's over here. So this part is higher up. There's more sheepskin bag sticking past the tie-in than on this side. And that helps orient that bass drum up and therefore um, makes it more comfortable. And so, I mean, there's zero difference for me for striking in a, in a sheepskin bag. It just strikes in. My bass drone doesn't move, nothing moves, and you know, on we go. So there's something wrong. It's not that it's a sheepskin. Yep. Uh, sheepskin, so let, let me conclude this by saying sheepskin, in my experience, is by far the best bag for starting and stopping. Um, and Lou, have you taken the strike in the star strike in system course on the dojo? You, okay, do that. It's a quick course. It doesn't take long, but that may also, you know, you may also be having a technique issue with your strike in that maybe you haven't considered. Um, so, so you could do that too. It's good question. And it's good that like when something seems hard and it doesn't make sense, that's a perfect time to ask a question. So, yeah. And then keep um, us posted. I'll be really interested to hear what fixes it. There, you will find something if you work at it. You will find it. Uh, from Shalina and Jen. <clears throat> Quick question. Shalina is competing for the first time in a Piper. What would the max tempo for a 6.8 and a 2.4 march be in grade 5? And then she follows up by saying, I know it's the tempo at which you can play it well, but, but we're just talking about, you know, in general. So See, I would have asked that the exact opposite way. What's the slowest tempo that I can get away with in, in a contest? The answer is always the tempo at which you can play it well. What is acceptable? So uh, tempo at which you can play the tempo it well. At which you can play it well. Any tempo above that, in my mind, and uh, obviously would be completely unacceptable. Obviously, we would never want to compete ever in a million years at a tempo that's higher than we can play it well. Obviously. I mean, what's the point in playing it faster than where it's at your best? Now, you might be asking, how slow can I play it before I should feel embarrassed? And the answer is there's no limit to how slow you can play it, especially in grade five. And now, if it playing it right. Yeah. Now, um, if you have a bad judge, they will criticize it for being too slow. But then the, in that case, the judge is bad and you're doing all the right things. Sure. Jeffrey, you're right. Some, some judges will say, oh, slow. 
But more often than not, and ask some of our Dojo U members here that have competed, more often not than not, you'll get that, you know, a little bit slow. First place, second place, third place. That's the, it's really good to move yourself forward. Yeah, you're going to want to work to speed that up. But it's also the same people that choose to play it at the right tempo for them that end up winning because they're doing it at their best of their potential and not making the mistake of just simply playing it fast because other people do. Other people that can play it faster are either not going to play as well as you, or they are, in which case they're just a little further along in their learning process, and they're probably going to win anyway. And it's not going to help you to play faster at their tempo because you're not going to play as Does that make sense? Um, yeah, Shalina and Jen say, okay, mister, you made a chart of max tempos. What was that all about? First of all, if that chart is causing any confusion, uh, tell me where it is because I don't remember where it is, and I'll just take it off the site. Okay. So are there tempos that, you know, professional players end up at? Sure. But in grade five or in any developing grade level, it's not relevant. I, th I think it's part of the six-month plan or something like that. Yeah, it's in the six-month plan and maybe somewhere else. It, it was so that we develop, you know, like, here's an ideal performance tempo. We want to work at 50% of that. You right. know, and that's where that came in. But Sure. Uh, but I would take it down before I change my mind on what I just said, just so you know. What I just said trumps uh, what that says or what suggests. It doesn't even really say it, but it suggests here's how you might calculate a good goal tempo for yourself. Yeah. And I knew I said the word Trump in its actual meaning and someone was going to go there. Thanks, Clyde. Well, Clyde's from <laughs> South, South Texas. Um, that's cool. I guess we're out of time. I was kind of interested to tackle Carl's question about uh, how to write out a waltz. Uh, if you're writing out a waltz, go with three, four time. Yeah, I'm struggling with it. <laughs> play, can you play me the audio of it? Sure. Um, so let me just share my screen here. And give me one second. Where did it all go? Okay, just need to move zoom. And then we're good. Okay, so here we go. Share screen, computer sound, and desktop. All right, so here's the MP3. I'm not hearing anything. Uh, Audacity yes. doesn't play nice with Audacity you. doesn't play nice, yes. Um, okay, hang on two seconds. I have the file as well. First of all, Carl, we got to get you on the news score. Yeah, yeah, I know. Quick time, this will work. All right, here we go. Bonjour à tous. Uh, ah, bonjour. Da, 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 da. Sorry, I don't remember where it is. There's talking at the beginning. So this should be in nine eight time. In nine eight time, okay. That because will it's make one two three one two three one two three one two, and then inside of each of those, so that would 
that you'd be tempted to say that's three four, but inside of each of those, it's actually dig it dig it dig it dig it dig it dig it a one and a two and a three and a one and a two and a three and a one and a two and a three. Yeah. So that's where you that's where you've gone wrong here. So nine eight time. Yeah. Yeah. Think I'll be able to start it out. Yeah, that would be the way I would do it. Yeah. It's in nine. I would write it in nine eight. So that's where you went wrong there. So again. Anyway. Yeah, because there's a three. It's so it's a three beat bar. But one and two and three and one and two. But then when you have that kind of groove. One and two. That's not a lap ASAP or anything. Or it's not no. one e and a two e and a one e. So it's actually should be in nine eight. Yeah, that'll be a lot easier to write it out. I, it was hard because it's like, it, you know, I tried counting out. Okay, so how many beats do I have per tune or like per part? Because you can clearly hear the ends of the part. So I counted it out and we end up at like twenty or. 21 depending if we count the pickups so uh and i'm like well I, I, I just got lost in my head and i really couldn't figure out how to write it so i'll try it in nine eight and when i get stuck well you can look at it next week <laughs> no it's definitely a nine eight yeah cool this would be a great tune to le- learn muse score yeah all right i'll i'll, I'll do that too <laughs> yeah cool Leave it to the French guys to like play stuff that's actually interesting as far as like the tempo and idiom. Well, and it's it, okay. So there's a little you know frilly bit at the end there that's kind of fast, but the rest of it's like pretty straightforward, and uh, it's pretty groovy. Anyway, it's uh, something three, I want to try and get my look. Clyde says into. three eight or nine eight works. So three eight does not work. Uh, because the bar is clearly in three-piece chunks. So either 9-8 or 18-8 would work. If you really feel like like the it's a longer bar or a longer phrase, you could actually go out to 18-8. Uh, but I would probably go with 9-8. Yeah. Um, so there you go. All right, nice session. I think I might turn this into a podcast again because we covered lots of good stuff. Yeah, like all, good. all of the negative stuff I said about the USPBA was before we started the recording. It's true. But now you just put it at the end. <laughs> well, for those who want to catch me red-handed, you're going to have to buy a membership first. In order to hear that. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, and then if you, want to, if you want to come at me, you're going to have to go through my man Gideon first. Yeah. I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you talk to him first. <laughs> Ken says I should teach a bunch of Breton tunes. I'm I'm woefully underqualified to do that. Um, we could explore stuff together, maybe, but I, I am by no means an expert. I'm we're going to be sending out. Um, shortly, we're going to be sending out a survey uh, to uh, to people, just kind of talking about what they want to learn about. Uh, you know, in moving forward and stuff so keep that in your back pocket and if you want to learn about that definitely let us know like the problem with breton tunes it's the same as pbrock where unfortunately from a business perspective there's only a very few people that even know what it is and then fewer still that are really itching to learn it that's that's the problem i think that we have with breton tunes however 
if that's not true, I'd like to know, and then we'll we'll go down that road. Yeah, I mean, because it, it it's sort of in a broader style. It's more the sort of traditional music piping in traditional music, which definitely is interesting. Just depends on whether you guys have interest in learning more about that and doing that in your piping. And that could be a very relevant question because what are we doing now with our piping if all of the contests are canceled? So getting back to last week's podcast. So this could be a very interesting avenue to bring your piping. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll keep you posted. Another important announcement is that Richard Parks is joining us August 23rd at yeah. 1 p.m. Eastern. So, uh, Way cool. I think we, I think it's possible depending. I think it's, I think he's in the running for uh, record class size. So we will be expanding the size of our zoom membership for that. Just yeah. in case. Cause Jack got up to 97 and I think that, what do they call the, what do they call that? Like the golden goose or like the hidden? Cause he, Richard is a bit more scarce than Jack. So I wonder if we'll get more than a hundred people, uh, but he's we'll going see. to be discussing achieving great intonation from from the world's top authority on the issue. We're super excited. Yeah, that's going to be so. something not to be missed. The other thing that I'm going to let people know about soon is the Pipe Major Symposium. Uh, I'd like to change, we're going to change the rules about it or just kind of make people aware. So you can, you can um, bring up to two members of your leadership team to the symposium with you. Uh, it's just a little update. So the Pipe Major Symposium with Stuart Little, Robert Matheson, and uh, Alan Bevan. Uh, it's it's a pricey service. I get it. So to add more value for people or for people who are on the fence, um, you can sign up and bring up to two other people, like let's say your pipe sergeant and maybe like a guy that's that you're grooming for leadership or something. You can bring up to two others to come see all the lectures and sit in on the one-on-one -on -one sessions because I think that it might actually bring more value to your band. Yeah. So MQM says that means three members of the band can split the cost. Conceptually, yes. That's, that's what that means. So like if you have two people in your band that really want to go, uh, it's not going to cost you like two grand, <laughs> which I think is good. I think that adds a lot of value and maybe a... It might be easier to sell it to your band. So you can have up to three members of your band sit in with these guys. It could even be your drum sergeant if they're into that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and that's what we want, Kevin. We want bands to maybe help pitch in. Um, and, and just remember, like, the reason the price is high for this is because it's very exclusive. Uh, but we are still hoping for more signups. So it's not like the intensive that went so fast so uh and it's undoubtedly because the price is high but if you think about how it could benefit your band i think the value is still there so anyway we're still working on that but that's something i'm going to let people know so your pipe major and two others right. or it could be your pipe sergeant and two others like just you know up to three people from your band can attend that's right um now now each just let me be clear and i have to make sure i word this so for the one-on-one -on -one sessions, um, you, you, you don't get three different ones for all those people. So, that, okay. so it, it would now become a three-on-one session if you did that. Cool? All right, I got to go take the kids for a walk. 
All right, everybody. Nice job. We'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.